Good morning, Ward Church. Good morning, Ward Church at Farmington Hills. We're so glad to be together this morning. My name is Nicole Eunice. I'm one of the pastors here, but I get to come to you from Richmond, Virginia, and I come in every couple of months to get to to serve over the weekend, and I want to thank you for winter. Um, I really appreciate it. Thank you. And I will be flying away from winter um, at two o'clock today. So thank you <laughs> for preparing me for the winter. Actually, I really enjoy it. It's, it's great to be here. It's great to be in the snow. Thank you for braving the weather. I, I know that sounds dumb. If we were in Richmond, you would have braved the weather to be here. I know the rest of you guys are like, this isn't weather. This is just normal. Um, so I'm really excited that we get to continue our series today in the book of Acts. And we're going to be looking at a a person named Stephen today, and really the hinge character that he is in the book of Acts, and particularly looking at how this disruption to the church advances the mission and what that means for us as well. And disruption advancing the mission is a very big part of our life, and it's a part of a lot of things that we may not know are what we've experienced that we've, we've been able to benefit from. So church, I don't want you to leave me hanging. Farmington Hills, I'm talking about you too. Scott, I'm looking at you. I need you to lead the way, okay? So I'm gonna show you guys a series of products that I'm guessing that you have benefited from in some way. And when I show you the product, I want you to say what it is. Can we do that? We're gonna be talking about the product that we experienced, and I'll tell you a little story about how this thing came to be. Are you ready? Okay, I just wanna make, I feel very much like a game show host right now, but we're gonna get through this part together, ready? Okay, here we go. This is the hardest one. Anybody know what this is? Oh, so good, pacemaker, that's right. A pacemaker actually was invented because the man who was working on trying to record heartbeats put the wrong circuitry into his little um, invention and they discovered that it can actually change the electrical current in a heart. And so one poor dog got a pacemaker put in him and then they realized that they could use that for humans, which is why we have pacemakers today. Very good, are you ready for the next one? Okay, here we go, ready? Here it is. Post-it notes, the guy who invented post-it notes was actually trying to create a very sticky adhesive. He completely failed and made a very weak adhesive. He tried to tell everyone around him that this would actually was a really great invention, but it wasn't until his friend, who was tired of having things fall out of his hymnal, that they decided to put the adhesive on the back of a bookmark. And now we have a whole new way to communicate. That's a post-it note. Okay, you ready? Here's your next one. I know, it's written on there. That was, an, if you didn't say it now, I know you're just not actually participating. So super glue, they were trying to create something clear. They were trying to create a chemical that would be really, really clear plastic for the sites for guns, and they accidentally created a really sticky adhesive. They also didn't know what to do with that, but they ended up using it to bind up wounds in war. And now we have super glue. Um, okay, next one. Be, take a minute. <laughs> we have dissension in the ranks. What was that? It's the chocolate chip that is the invention, okay? So there was a woman in, a, in a, an inn called the Toll House Inn, and she ran out of baker's chocolate, so she just chipped some chocolate off of a semi-sweet bar that she had. She thought it would melt and make chocolate cookies, but it made chocolate chip cookies. Fun fact, her recipe is on the back of the Toll House bag, and she got free chocolate for life for giving them her recipe. So that's why we have chocolate chips, yay. Okay, last one, here we go. Anybody know what this is? 
<laughs> Pepto-Bismol, it does look like that. I don't know how Pepto-Bismol was invented, but I do know how penicillin was invented. So the guy, I tried to say this word in the first service, couldn't do it. The scientist who studies bacteria, if whoever wants to tell me how to say that later, you can. That guy left some bacteria in his lab. He came back the next day or over the weekend, and some of the bacteria had been killed because a mold grew on it. And that mold became penicillin, but also they first called this mold juice. Thankfully, they moved away from that title. I don't know who the branding guy was who decided that wasn't a good idea, but this is why we have penicillin. So what do all of these things have in common? All of them were invented because somebody was willing to be open to new possibilities. Someone was willing to disrupt the status quo, to use unexpected outcomes to bring about something new. And if there's one thing I want you to hear this morning and take with you, it's this. When it comes to following Jesus, the mission is worth the disruption. And the challenge for us in faith is to actually believe with our lives that the mission of following Jesus is actually worth the disruption, whatever that looks like for us. And what we're gonna see this morning, kind of three things that I wanna try to lay out for us today, what disruption looks like for Stephen, first and foremost, as we look at his story, and then what disruption looked like for the church because of that, and then what disruption might look like for you today. So are you ready to take a look at Stephen? I've loved getting into Stephen's story. It's so powerful. One of my friends likes to call him Stone Cold Stephen because he truly is a guy who knew what he was about. He was passionate about what he was about, and we're gonna see where that led him today. So we're gonna start in Acts chapter six. The backstory of Stephen, if you were here last week, you know we're working through the book of Acts. And we talked about this idea that the church is growing, and Pastor Scott talked about what was coming and threatening the church, division, distraction from within, and that out of that, new leadership was developed, and that leadership was about kind of having some guys who would take care of the ministry of the church, wait on the tables, attend to the widows of the time, work on the distribution of resources. Amen, you guys remember that? So this guy, Stephen, is one of those guys and what I love about this is that right away we see that God does not make a division between those who preach the word and those who do the word. We are called to both. Because although Stephen was like the first deacon, diaconate is that word serving, he also was equipped with great power and wisdom and he would preach the message of Jesus wherever he went. Let's pick it up in Acts chapter six, verse eight. It says, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. So I want you to hold in your head as we listen to this sermon from Stephen that he is a man full of grace and power. What's more, what we know about Stephen is that he was coming to the temple to reason with the religious leaders about the fact that Jesus actually was the Messiah. And it says in scripture that they could not refute his wisdom that what he brought and the way that he described who Jesus was, they had no way to answer him. Some people actually wonder if Saul, who we're about to get into his story next in the next coming weeks, Saul, who's renamed Paul, was one of those guys in the temple because we know that Saul was raised as a religious leader. And was he one of those guys who listened to Stephen and could not refute the wisdom of what he brought? And so this is who Stephen is. He's serving in the church. He's distributing materials and needs for the people. He's full of grace and power. He's able to speak with wisdom. And the first thing I want you to know is that being full of grace and power does not necessarily lead you to an easy life. 
In fact, I believe that being full of grace and power, if you're gonna become more like Christ, you should expect life to not get easier. But I do think that it gets better. And sometimes we equate an easy life with a better life. But I think what we're gonna find as we look at the story of Stephen is that if you are going to move toward Christ in your life, you should expect to be uncomfortable. And you should expect disruption. So let's take a look at what happens next. So Stephen's got all this grace, power. He's performing signs and wonders. The religious leaders do not like it. And so they begin to stir up dissension against Stephen. And they're actually going to bring false accusations against Stephen. This is in Acts chapter 6. And it says that they stirred up people and they had them say, we've heard him say that Jesus will destroy this place, meaning the temple, and he's gonna change the customs Moses handed down to us. So Stephen has now been leveled two serious accusations. Those two accusations are he's speaking against the temple, this place that we love, and he's speaking against the law, the thing that we've built our life upon, and that's what they accuse him of. And then Stephen answers with the longest recorded sermon of the time, and all preachers everywhere noted that that ended in stoning. And so they decided to end their sermons on time. So here we go. Stephen has this huge sermon that he gives. And it's funny to give a sermon about a sermon, but I'm going to encourage you to try to read it this week if you can. It's long. But I want to give you just the flyover themes of what Stephen is doing here because it's really, really beautiful. So he's going to answer the two accusations that are leveled against him, but then he's also going to indict those listening to him. So he's brought before the Sanhedrin. This would be a big crowd of religious leaders, and he's called before them to testify to what he's gonna say about what they say he's done, right? That he hasn't even done, but that's what they're gonna do. So he's gonna kind of give three sort of answers to these charges against him. And I think these answers are disruptive opinions that matter for us today. Here's the first one. The first disruptive opinion that Stephen lays out for them is that God works with those who are willing to get uncomfortable. He was talking to a group of religious leaders who were very comfortable with the status quo, with tradition, with the way that things were. And he starts at the beginning of scripture. He knows the Bible. He knows what he is talking about. And he tells this story about people, God's people, who are willing to get uncomfortable. Listen to what he says. First person he brings up is Abram back in Genesis. And look at what Stephen said in his sermon. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. Abram was willing to leave. He had no plan. He didn't know where he was going. I mean, can you imagine if God's just like, drive west, I'll tell you when to stop. Abram was willing to be uncomfortable out of faith. He was willing to leave what he knew and go somewhere else because the mission was worth the disruption. The next person that Stephen brings up is Joseph, Acts chapter 7, verse 9. He says, because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. Joseph had to be oppressed in order to move God's plan forward. Joseph was willing and was a slave for 13 years before anything that he, he had dreamed or believed would come true actually even started to come true. He was oppressed for the purposes of the mission. God is looking for those who are willing to be uncomfortable. And then finally, he goes to Moses, Acts chapter 7, verse 35. And he talks about what Moses has done. 
He talks about the time, if you're familiar with the story of Moses, where early on in Moses' life, he sees an Egyptian oppressing a Hebrew, and he intervenes, he kills the Egyptian, and he's rejected by the Hebrew, who's like, who made you ruler and judge over us? He then goes into the desert for 40 years before God calls him back to the mission. Moses had to fail before God advanced the mission. This is the same Moses they rejected with the words, who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. You see, what Stephen is doing is he's, he's sort of building this magnificent argument for the idea that God is always disrupting patterns in order to do a new thing. Abram had to leave, Joseph was oppressed, Moses had to fail in order to move things forward. And as he begins to build from his knowledge of scripture, I'm sure they're like, whoa, right? He's actually building towards this idea that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the one that they've been waiting for. And so he answers their charges this way. The first thing he says is that a new prophet would come. Remember they said that he was disregarding the law? He said, wait, Moses, the one that you tell me I'm disregarding, Moses himself said that a new prophet would come. He says it here, this is Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. He answers their charges with a testimony of Christ. And then he answers their second charge when they say, you are talking about destroying the temple. And he says, but God never can be contained by a building. And he quotes Acts 7, however the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. He answers both of their charges, but he's not as much interested in defending himself as he is interested in defending Jesus because everything that he's preaching up to this point is leading to the main point. And he's saying, listen, guys, and remember, he's full of grace and power. He's not full of judgment and condemnation. So imagine him standing before these religious leaders like, guys, why aren't you getting it? Are you getting what God is doing? You claim with your lives to follow God, but you are missing what he is doing. And after he answers their charges against him, he then lays an indictment upon them. Acts chapter seven, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. Now, why were they so upset? Well, here's a couple of things. We heard earlier in the story, if you read back in the story, it says right before this part starts, I love these little, little phrases in scripture that give you color about what's actually going on. Right before the story of Stephen begins, it says many priests began to believe in Jesus. So what's happening is that the power dynamic is being shifted. And this thing, this movement is taking shape and if people are passionate, signs and wonders are happening and more and more people are joining this thing that was called the way. 
The priests were believing, they're rejecting the status quo, they're coming up against tradition, they are challenging the position of these spiritual leaders. And this right here, where we leave off, is what we've seen happen with other apostles up to this point. Because if, if this was the end of the story, if this was the end of Stephen's sermon, then we might expect him to be imprisoned, like the apostles were. We may expect him to be beaten, like the apostles were, as troubles kind of heating up. But we haven't seen anyone be killed. So what happened that created this experience for Stephen? We see it next in verse 54, Acts 7, 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious. They gnashed their teeth at him. But look what Stephen does. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at this, they began to stone him. So what happened? What happened that gave Stephen so much power? I mean, can you just imagine the experience of Stephen full of grace and power who is actually experiencing all that he has spoken of is happening in front of him, and it's at that that he is stoned. Well, take a look at this. This is so incredible. If you want to go in your Bibles to Mark chapter 14, for those of you who still carry a beautiful paper Bible, you can go to Mark 14 or leave this in your notes. I want you to see something that will sound so familiar to what we have just heard, and it's Jesus before he goes to the cross, before the very same kind of counsel before the same religious leaders. And this is Mark 14, and I'm gonna start in verse 60. They've trumped up false accusations against Jesus. And the high priest stood there and asked Jesus, are you not gonna answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him as worthy of death. You see, what we see in Stephen's life is that Stephen was following Jesus in life and Stephen was following Jesus in death because if you are going to follow Jesus, you are gonna to conform to the life of Jesus. And the story of Stephen is told in this beautiful typology of, a Christ, of Christ. Stephen performed signs and wonders, so did Jesus. Stephen has false accusations brought up against him, so did Jesus. Stephen is able to refute those accusations, so was Jesus, full of wisdom. And as Jesus declared himself the son of man who would sit at the right hand of the father, it is that that Stephen says that has him stoned to death. You see, Stephen was conforming to the life of Jesus. But there's one little difference if you noticed it in those two passages. When Jesus talks about himself before he goes to the cross, he says, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of the father. And when Stephen has this vision and this experience. It says he saw the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father, and people disagree about why he would be standing. But when I think about Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, I think about him witnessing to the life of Stephen, to welcome him into heaven, standing up 
to welcome him to heaven. In Acts 1.8, we know that it says that we will be, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. And I think that what we see in this moment is that Jesus is also our witness and that he stands up to testify to who we are as we enter into heaven. In Revelation chapter one, it says Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. That's how Jesus is described in Revelation. And I think about Stephen, who by the way, there's like no sense that he was bothered by the stoning that happened next at all. In fact, the next thing he does is like Christ says, forgive them. And then it says that Stephen fell asleep. Now, I don't know much about stoning, but I don't think that the result is a very peaceful sleep. But yet the experience of seeing Stephen unto life and unto death following Jesus is like the most important thing is how radiant he was looking at Jesus standing to welcome him into heaven. The mission is worth the disruption. Thomas Merton once said that the word martyr means witness. And he said the martyr doesn't give up life. The martyr gives up having life. And when he gives up having it, he shows us what the essence of life really is. I'm gonna say that one more time. The martyr doesn't give up life. He gives up having life. And in giving up having life, he reveals the actual essence of life. Stephen expressed with life and death what it means that the mission is worth the disruption. Because it actually is what happens next that moves the church forward. So what did this mean for the church? Remember what Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And then what do we read in Acts chapter eight that we heard at the beginning of the message? It was actually because of the persecution that was sparked in Stephen's death that the people actually went to Judea and Samaria. And I would love to believe that they would have just gone to Judea and Samaria anyway, that they would have started their missionary journeys and been so happy to spread the word. But the reality is what the scriptures tell us is that it was only in persecution that the message began to spread. It was only the disruption that caused the message to go out to the world that this is the hinge person, and we'll see Philip and Paul coming up next, that actually take the church out to the world, that move it out of Jerusalem, out of just a way of the Jewish people, and into the world, the place where you and I are now. The mission was worth the disruption, and it changed things in the church. So we know what disruption meant for Stephen, we know what disruption meant for the church. Now the question is, what does disruption mean for you? And I wrote down a couple of things that we could take from today. The first is this. If you are a follower of Jesus, expect disruption and embrace interruption. If you're a follower of Jesus, expect disruption and embrace interruption because God will make you uncomfortable when you are living on mission. If the mission is worth the disruption, he will use disruptions to move the mission forward. Philippians 2 says, continue to work out your salvation. And I love that phrase, because we're not working for our salvation. 
But I do think that if you are following Jesus, you are going to be uncomfortable. You are going to have to wrestle with the times that we are in. You're gonna have to think about what it looks like to be a person who is embracing being an ambassador of reconciliation in your life. And by the way, it's usually our hard things that God uses to advance his mission. Take a look at this, second thing. Your affliction today might be from someone's answered prayer of yesterday. Your affliction of today might be somebody's answered prayer from yesterday because that's what Stephen was. Look at Acts 4, 29, while the church is together and they're praying and it's good and there's fellowship, right? And they're sharing all their possessions together. It says that they prayed, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stephen is the answer to that prayer and it took him to death. He is the answer to that prayer and his death disrupted the church in Jerusalem so that it would spread out from that place, amen? Ever been dislocated? Ever felt disconcerted? Ever wondered why God has you where he has you? Is it perhaps that he is using this disruption in your life to advance the mission? Would you say yes to that? Would it be worth it? Because Stephen said yes to it to death. And he had Jesus standing, welcoming him to heaven. Don't we wanna get to the end of our lives and say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Because if so, you're gonna have to be uncomfortable along the way. The mission requires faith and deeds. I wanna end with a story um, that God brought to mind just this morning actually as a way to wrap up our sermon about a friend of mine named Leslie, Leslie Goldman. She, uh, we did ministry together, we were in a church together. I absolutely loved this woman. She was one of those people, you know when people say people are radiant, which by the way is what they said about Stephen, they're not actually glowing, but you feel like when you're with them, they just have a lot of light. And, And Leslie was that way. She was real, she was funny, she was lively, and she was just so much life for Jesus. She became a Christian in her 40s. Um, She had a whole lifetime without Jesus. And it gave her an intensity of love and of mission that was noticeable to those around her. And in her 50s, she went into a second bout of cancer, and this time it was terminal. And I had a chance to spend some time with her in those, in those last days. And I remember particularly one time going to the hospital, and she said, I'm scared. Um, she, was, she was suffering. And she said, I'm, I'm really scared of how that is. And I loved that real part of her. I loved that she was working out her salvation. But then I went to her again, and she said, I've been praying for my family. None of them know the Lord. And the very last time that I saw Leslie before she died, she said, Nicole, my family prayed for me yesterday around my bed, and I could tell that my sister actually prayed. I could feel it. She's held my hand before, but I've known that she's been not praying. But this time, she was praying. And guys, she was radiant. And and I felt like Leslie was like, this is enough. Like, it's all worth it. The disruption of my life is worth this moment for my sister. And then she passed away in 2016. And and I think about Leslie and I wonder, what would it be like for us to have a little more Leslie in us this week? What would it be like to have a little more Stephen in you this week? What would it look like to embrace 
and expect disruption and interruption in your life, to hold all the rest of it loosely and to hold fast to the person of Jesus and to the mission that he's called us to. So I wanna ask us, I wanna invite you to pray a simple but bold prayer with me this morning as we close. God, I embrace your disruptions. God, I embrace your interruptions. God, I expect your instructions. Lord, put me on mission for your glory, no matter how that shapes me, who that makes me, or where that takes me. And all God's people said, amen, amen.